to invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Back to Luke 12 this morning. Now something that we may not think about often, and yet we are all very keenly aware of, is that you and I are bound by time. Time is a shackle upon us in many ways. We're woven into it as creatures. We cannot escape it. We live in linear history. We're never allowed to go back. We're only allowed to go forward into the future as time would allow. In this regard, we're different from God. God is outside of time, unbound by time. He sees the past and the future as well and as easily as He sees the present. For us, we do not see the future and we have vague recollections of the past and we are not outside of time. We are bound to the age that we're born in. You are bound to the generation that you're born in and in fact, the people that you know right now are the people that you will share this time in history with on this planet. There are no time machines. There are no uh, such things as, as freezing machines to preserve your body. You are in time right here and right now. And as I thought about that, I thought we really live in a time unlike any other time in human history. There's never been a time like this time. Never been an age like this age. We can talk about a few things that make the time we live in so unique. Technology would be one of them. Technology has changed the world in ways that most other things haven't. We can liken it to the printed word. Yet it has a far faster reach than the printing press did. It's impacted society in, in no other way in, in ways like nothing else except for the gospel itself. Technology has brought about endless applications to our life, endless implications for our society. It determines the way that we raise our kids now. It determines how we interact with one another. It determines how we obtain information, how we govern, and more and more and more. All of these things influenced by the advance of technology in our world. So, just looking at that technological advancement, we live in a time like no other time before. There are other factors that make this age that we exist in different. We see innovations and we see revolutions in all aspects of the human existence, don't we? We are witnessing right now a complete shift in all things absolute. Morality is incredibly under attack and being questioned. Things that the church and even society at large in our culture, even five decades ago, would have seen as horrendous, would have seen as unacceptable, are now commonplace practices, aren't they? It's normal to witness divorce. In fact, it's even expected that young people are having premarital sex. It's not a shock 
to find young people addicted to alcohol and addicted to drugs. That's commonplace practice. That's because we live in a time that's not only changing, but it's a time that's shifting and questioning everything. So what has been black and white before in regards to ethics, in regards to morality, in regards to truth, is now largely grayed out. In fact, we can say it like this. We live in a world and in a time that is confused about reality. That's really what it's about. A confusion concerning reality. It's a denial of reality. Even nature and even biology, things that once were even 20 years, solid truths are now questioned. Things like logic and reason, are suddenly not so certain anymore. I think all of this is taking place under the banner of tolerance. Even absolute truth like Scripture is under attack in our time, in our world. This notion of absolute truth or absolute authority or supreme authority is actually not comforting anymore, it's offensive now to the world. And this cry of tolerance has pushed away all that was once certain, solid, and unshifting. And ironically, tolerance has created a world that will not tolerate intolerance. Our children today, it's a frightening thing, isn't it, that our children today are going to be growing up in a world where there is no absolute right and wrong, there is no clear best or good or, or evil or wickedness, they're going to be growing up and they're being taught even today that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that the Bible can't be trusted, that you determine your own truth. We live in a time unlike any other. A time where everybody's trying to ignore and alter reality. From the way we interact with one another, to what we deem successful, to the ways that we now spend our time, to our, even our mental processes of thinking through issues, all of this has been driven away from reality. What is absolute? What is certain? We now have a surplus of distractions at our disposal. Busying ourselves with much lesser things so that we are now not just distracted from important things, we're distracted from reality. It has now been blurred in our world. What makes this so significant is when we start denying and questioning and reshaping and reforming reality, we quickly begin to start denying what God deems as right and wrong and what God says about human existence and creation. Reality in God's mind is never changing. It is what it is. And once we begin to blur what reality is and blur absolute truth and and blur morality, and blur our ethics, and on and on and on and on, we begin to be distracted away from the truth of the age that we live in. 
In God's mind, this is not a time like any other. It's still a time where lost sinners are guilty of sin in need of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the time we live in. And that is what's at stake when reality begins to be blurred. People no longer see the guilt of their sin because there's no longer a such, such a thing as absolute truth. People no longer see the guilt of their sin and their transgression of the Creator when we begin to blur right and wrong in terms of morality. When we begin to deny reality and morality and all of these things, we begin to start denying the very basic truth of the time that we live in. We need mercy extended from God in Christ. Thankfully, according to God's patience, we still live in an age of mercy. We still live in an age where God is graciously extending a forgiving hand to sinners. And that's what we come to find Christ talking about in this text that we come to today in Luke chapter 12. God is still extending grace. The problem is that people have not realized it. Because they're denying reality. They're denying what is true, what is evidenced right in front of their eyes. It's right there for them to grasp onto, and yet they cannot and will not and do not see it. They're denying reality, and in denying reality, they're missing out on God's time of mercy extended to them. Instead, they're found to be mocking and ignoring and questioning God's gracious invitation of salvation in Christ. They're not acknowledging it. They're mocking it. Ridiculing it. Even in today's text, in the time of Christ, they failed to realize that God is offering salvation through the Messiah. And they have even failed to realize that He will not offer that salvation forever. And In fact, I think that's something we have failed to realize, isn't it? We're quick to embrace the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. But the sobering reality is God will not extend the offer of salvation forever. One day, the age of mercy will come to a close. One day, God will no longer be patient in this regard. And Christ will return and the believers will be caught up together with Him and the unbelievers will stand before Him in judgment. God's invitation of mercy and salvation to sinners will not be eternal, church. What a shocking realization, isn't it? But praise God, today is still the day of mercy. And salvation is still available right now. And we must realize it, recognize it, and respond to it appropriately. In this text, Christ calls sinners to recognize the times, recognize the issue of sin, and to settle it in their lives before it's too late. That's the whole point of today's 
text. So we come to Luke chapter 12, verse 54. In verse 54 of Luke chapter 12, Luke's reporting to us that Jesus is talking to the crowds, and this is what he reports. He, being Jesus, also said to the crowds around him, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why, verse 57, do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The first thing we want to consider from today's text is the present time. The present time as it pertains to Christ when he's speaking here. But what we know to be true is that the time when Christ is speaking is not different from the present time that you and I live in. In God's terms. In verse 56, we find really the thrust of the the first part of this text. Jesus calls this crowd hypocrites. Hypocritical. That's kind of his right punch there. That's the whole point that he's going to be uh, teaching from and building upon and stressing to these people. We have to ask the question, why? What makes them hypocritical? Because it doesn't seem as if they're doing anything an error here and falsehood. So what's the Lord getting at in this point? Well, by this time in Jesus's ministry, and we've already seen it several times in Luke. And if we start comparing the other gospels, we'll see it uh, even more prevalent. But by this time, we've come to realize that people have been questioning his ministry, right? They've been questioning his motives. They've been questioning his teachings. They've been questioning his works. And now they're people who are requesting signs from him. They want further confirming proof that Jesus is who he's claiming to be. You see, there's no question in their mind, those who are originally hearing Christ, that he's claiming to be divine. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the Christ sent from God. And they want more proof. They want more evidence. Even as recently as chapter 11 Verse um, 29, Jesus is having to teach concerning this issue that's arisen in his ministry. If you look in chapter 11, verse 29, the crowds are increasing. Jesus begins to say to them, this generation is an evil generation. Why are they evil? Because it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows what they've been asking over and over and over and over again. Do some Sign. In chapter 11, verse 16. When they witnessed Jesus cast out a demon. Some people accuse him in verse 15 of casting out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And in verse 16, others to test him keep seeking from him a sign from heaven. 
right there before their eyes, a demon is cast out by the very words and power of Christ, and yet they are still seeking a sign. And as we've walked through those texts, we've identified that their request of seeking a sign is not a harmless request. It's something that reveals their unbelief. It reveals their lack of faith in what Jesus has already done. So when they request signs from the Lord, it's a highly offensive request. And it's a condemning request. Jesus, we've seen you cast out demons. We've seen you feed lots of people. We've seen you heal the sick. We've heard you teach. We've seen all these things. But we're still not quite sure. I need more proof. I need more signs. I need more evidence. This is not a harmless request. It reveals unbelief in what Jesus has already said and already done. This is helping us understand why he's calling them hypocrites. Because he knows all of this about them. He's been dealing with all of this. We can look at other texts. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 18. John chapter 4, verse 48. John chapter 6, verse 2. John chapter 6, verse 30. John chapter 12, verse 18. And on and on and on and on. Those are just a few references in the Gospels where people are requesting a sign from Christ so that they might believe. Jesus has been dealing with this for some time. He knows that this crowd has a serious misunderstanding of the situation in front of them. He also knows the urgency for them to understand the truth and respond to it Accordingly, he understands how serious it is that these people look and evaluate and realize reality. Because right now, they're denying reality. Right now, they're ignoring reality. Right now, they're blurring reality. And so our Lord begins to use an illustration of their common, ordinary practices in verse 54. Knowing that they want further proof, that they're really denying the presence of Christ right in front of them. He exposes their foolish and hypocritical attitudes by talking about the weather. Jesus is a master teacher. And He can take things and do things and say things and use things to totally and completely get His point across. Here, He uses something as trivial as the weather to make His point. And he tells them, he says, you see clouds coming up in the west and you think there's going to be some rain. And yeah, there's some rain. You see wind blowing from the south. And you think to yourself, it's going to be hot. There's going to be scorching heat. And yeah, that that happens. He's pointing out that they are orienting and planning their day based upon what they think the weather will be like. We do that, right? We go outside and. Typically, I open the front door and say, yeah, it feels cold right now. I should probably wear long sleeves. Or no, I think it feels good right now. I'm going in short sleeves. We base our plans on the weather. Jesus is pointing out something more significant, though. You look to things like shifting clouds and shifting winds to determine absolute certainties for you. In fact, you make life-changing and life Necessary decisions based upon 
shifting clouds and shifting winds. You make decisions based upon your crops. You make decisions based upon your work schedule. You make decisions based upon your traveling schedules. All because of you see a cloud rising in the west or a wind coming from the south. And you know what that may mean. In fact, Jesus even acknowledges you're pretty accurate in your predictions. You think this and so it happens. You think that and so it happens. The point is this. You are making reliable and important decisions based on far less evidence than what Christ has already shown you about himself. That's what Jesus is getting at here. You make judgments concerning your day. You make judgments concerning the weather on far less evidence than what I've shown you about myself. And you question me. And you question what I've done and you question who I am. Jesus is saying it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy to judge the earth and to judge the sky in verse 56 and judge the weather based upon all these shifting conditions that may or may not happen. It's hypocrisy to make these kind of judgments and then turn around and deny Jesus and deny his claims based on a lack of evidence. It's hypocrisy. They've witnessed His works, like I've said. They've seen His power and His authority. They've heard His teachings. By this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been on the scene publicly for every bit of a year, year and a half, maybe more. They've seen and witnessed Him and His activity and His ministry, His undeniable ministry. And yet, although they've witnessed it, they do not see. And they do not believe. And they do not understand. They may be decent at predicting the weather, but they've missed the most important sign of all. The most important sign for their present time. The most important message available to them for interpreting who God is. It's that Christ has come. The anointed one of God. You may be able to determine the weather, Jesus says, but you don't know how to interpret the present time. What is the present time? It is the mercy of God extended to humanity. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in in the flesh. It's God right before them. It's the present time of God's mercy and plan of redemption and forgiveness of sins being extended through His own Son. It's the time and day of salvation. They are in the presence of the Lord. You know how much you and I long for that, Christian? They are in the presence of the Lord. They look into the eyes of our Creator. They're witnessing divinity in the flesh. He's tangible, touchable. You can hear His voice, audible voice. And yet, with all the abundance of evidence surrounding Him, they are too blind to see and too proud to believe. And how many people today still fit that definition? They base their lives 
They base their existence. They base their character. They base their personality on far less evidence. And they come to Christ and they say, I'm just not convinced yet. It's clear. The present time is clear. The gospel's been given. The word of God is complete. And we know what time it is. It's the time of forgiveness. It's the day of salvation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What's becoming more and more so one of my favorite references. He's just talking about. Well, let me back up into verse chapter five, verse 20. Now, let's back up into verse 19. Paul says that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And then here's chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't hear the gospel being preached in vain. Don't ignore the evidence of God's message of salvation in vain. Because of verse 2, for He says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Paul says, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is is the day of salvation. What's Christ getting at here in Luke chapter 12? Why is He calling them hypocrites? Why is He using such forceful language? Why is He getting after them? Because He knows today is the day of salvation and you're missing it. You're ignoring it. You're denying the evidence. You don't realize it. You're not living according to it. You're a hypocrite. How many people do we know, church, that today, this very day, do not recognize that God is extending a hand of mercy right now to them? And how many more people do not realize that this time of mercy will come to an end? Either at their death or the day of Christ, it will come to an end. And you cannot test the patience of the Lord forever. Too many people are living unconvinced of God's available grace, but also unconvinced of real judgment. And that's the problem here. These people aren't willing to believe in Christ, not so much for lack of evidence. They just don't think God's going to judge them. They don't realize the judgment is true. They don't realize that they will have to stand before God, give an account, give an answer. Well, this is what Christ is getting at in verse 
57 through the end of the chapter. So verse 56, he's hammering home this really insulting point to them. You don't even know how to interpret the present time. You don't even know what's right in front of you. You don't even know what God is doing right now in human history. He's extending salvation and atonement and forgiveness of sins. That's the present time. And he tries to stress the urgency of the time to them in verse 57 through 59. In other words, he's saying, take advantage of the time. He shares this parable. And in verse 58 and 59, this parable focuses on an accuser who's dragging a defendant or a guilty party to court to be judged. Again, here's where Christ is pointing out Judgment is a certainty. You can blur and deny reality all you want. It doesn't change reality. Reality is a judgment awaits us. Now, like all of the Lord's parables, this one would have been common day imagery. They would have identified very quickly with what he's saying. Point of the whole parable. Is found in verse 58. Make an effort to settle on the way. It's what Christ is getting at. Understand the times. And here's how you understand the times. Understand reality of sinners before a holy God. The reality is the guilty will be judged. And Jesus' point is to deal with your guilt before it's too late. Deal with your guilt before it's too late. Because if you don't, You will be dragged before the judge. The judge will find you guilty. The judge will condemn you and sentence you. Hand you over to the officer. The officer will put you in prison. And look at the warning of verse 59. You will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. A penny, that word there in Greek is lepton. It is one one hundred twenty-eighth of a day's wage. Very small, almost insignificant amount. The judge is not going to overlook your sentence. He's not going to shorten your condemnation. He's not going to show any ounce of grace in that moment. You have to pay the very last leptin, the very last penny, down to one one twenty-eighth. The problem is for the guilty, you'll never be able to pay it. Never. Our Lord here is referring to us. We're the guilty ones. We're the ones who have transgressed God and are being dragged to court by the accuser. Now, this word accuser I found to be very interesting because in Scripture it's Interpreted and mentioned in two ways. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, what most people think, it's in, used in reference to our great adversary, the devil. He's the great accuser, accusing us all the time before God. Accusing us to ourselves. But what I also found interesting, in John chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says, I will not accuse you to the Father, but here's the one who will accuse you, Moses. Moses... And his works are accusers to us. What does that mean? What's Christ referring to there? He's referring to the law of God. 
which was given through Moses. Do you realize the very law of God accuses you of your guilt because you have not lived up to it? Not only do we have an active enemy who's accusing us to ourselves all the time, but when we get drugged before court, we'll stand next to our accuser, which will be the law of God. And not a single one of us have lived up to that standard and that measurement. And yet the problem for us is that's what we will be measured according to. So the truth of this parable and what is implied in this parable is we are, in fact, guilty. We're guilty because we have broken the law. And so the accuser, our enemy, and the accusation of the law are both right. 100%. And we will be brought before the judge, the supreme judge, Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of sharing with people the gospel. And I try to point them out when, when I come to a subject remotely close to judgment. That any judge worth his weight here on earth does not let the guilty go free. How much more an infinitely holy supreme judge who has been transgressed by creatures of the dust. What an offensive thing it is for us to disobey God because God knows our origin. We come from the ground. And the consequence of sin to dust you shall return. You are a creature of the dust and you've looked at an infinitely glorious, holy God and said, no. And that supreme judge is who we're going to be hauled before. And the Bible is very clear in what Christ is trying to communicate here. If we do not deal with our sin before that moment, then we will be handed over to the officer put in prison, and condemned for all eternity. It's a sobering reality. It's an offensive truth, right? To be declared guilty. To be told of your wickedness, of the evil that's in your heart. That's offensive. That doesn't build or grow a church. And yet, that is the gospel. You are guilty. We are guilty. And Christ makes it very clear. We will not get out. Until we've paid the very last penny. Again. You can never pay it. Hell. And punishment for sin. Is not temporary. It's eternal. And it is a fitting punishment. For creatures of the dust. Who have offended a holy God. And none of us could escape it. None of us could pay the penalty and then be set free. It's an infinite, an infinite transgression that demands an infinite punishment. Christ's whole point in this text. Is still applicable for us today. Realize the present time. And take full advantage of it. Don't let the things of the world distract you. Don't be hypocritical in your logic. And in your reason. And in your judgments. Don't be distracted from reality. 
understand the present time, interpret it appropriately, that God is today, praise Him for His grace, He is today extending a hand of mercy. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, Paul says. God in the present time offers forgiveness of sins. Settle with your accuser before you're hauled in front of the judge. And here's the blessed truth of the gospel. That in this present time of mercy, our guilt may be wiped and washed away in Jesus Christ. If we come to the Lord now, if we turn to Jesus now in faith for salvation, every wicked part of ourselves is forgiven and cleansed. And we enter into salvation justified now before the God, before the judge and, and sanctified and one day glorified with Christ. The very worst part of you, Jesus died for on the cross so that He might present you blameless, innocent, Spotless before God. Jesus makes it clear. Know the present time and take full advantage of it. Settle your guilt while there is time. How many people today are living thinking I'll make a decision about faith later on in life? I'll make a decision about faith when I'm older. I'll make a decision about becoming a Christian and I'll get my life right with God after I've had my fun. We have no guarantee how long God will extend mercy. No guarantee whatsoever. What we know right now is that while we're still alive and before Christ comes back, He is extending mercy. And we may settle with our accuser on the way to eternity, each one of us, we are on the way right now to eternity. And we may find forgiveness of our guilt in Jesus Christ today. Be urgent about the time. Don't just interpret the present time, but also be urgent about it. Now, what does this mean real quick for us? Unbeliever. I think it's clear what it means. Do not wait a second longer. Do not wait another day. Turn to Christ for salvation. And find forgiveness of your sins now. And be set free from your guilt. For us that are Christians already, I would ask you this. What kind of church would we be and what kind of result would God bless us with if we lived in the urgency of the times? If we realize that each and every day God blesses us with is another day to proclaim the gospel that somebody might settle their guilt before it's too late. How many people do we come in contact with? Do we know in our lives that are still guilty and condemned? not saved and not forgiven. We have the message. We have the solution. We have the answer here. Do we have the urgency to proclaim it? Do we realize what's at stake 
Do we care enough to see our loved ones not be handed over to the officer and put in prison for eternity? I hope God will make us an urgent people who interpret the times correctly, recognize God's forgiving hand is extended now, and people who do not linger in their sin. May we be an urgent church. Urgent church. God, I thank You for Your most holy word that warns us and instructs us and and clarifies for us the truth of the times. Sin is not a joke. Condemnation is not a joke. Judgment is not a joke. God, it's not fun to preach about such matters. But such matters are dangerously true. Sin is not a joke, God, because it will be dealt with. With each and every minute that goes by and each and every breath that we breathe, we are one step closer to standing before You. Each second that ticks in the time that we are bound in as creatures, God, each second pushes us relentlessly towards judgment. The only escape and the only hope is Your Son and the salvation that You offer to those who place their faith in Him and come to You for salvation. These matters are no joking matter, God. So impress their seriousness upon our hearts. To quit living for ourselves in the life that You've given us. To interpret the present time correctly. To realize today is the day of salvation. And that we and others can settle the matter of their guilt before it's too late. Oh God. Make us an urgent people who unashamedly share this truth with urgency and boldness and conviction and passion and clarity that people's guilt may be forgiven in You. And I pray You would press upon the hearts of unbelievers today and this week that they cannot wait a second longer. They must come to You now. Thank You for this passage. It's in Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.